together is best, period. Together is best. But together is hard, isn't it? I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Together is hard work. Anything that you're going to do together or with someone else, uh, it, it inevitably is better, but it's so much more difficult at times and in processes along the way. And so there's this unique dynamic that we continue to try to live out. Jesus summed it up in the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this picture of together. God wants us to be together in a relationship with him, and he wants us to be together in relationships with others. But boy, there are things in all of our lives that work against that at times, where we just love to say, I I just would rather just deal with this or do this by myself. Um, My daughter and I have a, a great relationship. We joke about this all the time. When she was little, she was the epitome of independence, ever since she's just been the littlest thing. And you know how sometimes you, you're playing with your kid. I mean, we're talking like 18 months old, 24 months old. We're playing, doing something, and we're kind of hanging out, and we're wanting to, you know, maybe just lay in bed and watch something on TV. She just looks at us and goes, oh, my bad. And she just get up and go by herself, you know, just kind of leave off and go on her own. And she, you ever hear this from your toddler? I'm going to do this by myself. And you're just going, please, can we do this together? Because by yourself, this is going to be a little bit of a disaster and a lot harder to do. So we're trying to figure out all of us together and fight against that thing inside each one of us that just says at times, sometimes, man, this is just easier by myself. So how do we balance those things out? Well, in the midst of talking about being the church, which we've been talking about all summer, we've looked in Philippians. We're going to continue to be there today if you want to go ahead and access it, turn there. I don't know what to say anymore in today's world. Um, Get in your Bible to uh, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12. But what we've looked at so far, Paul's really painted this picture in the church in Philippi where he's told them already, man, you're doing a great job. The things that you're doing are great. And he wants them to continue to partner with him in ministry. He's encouraging them in the things that they've already been doing. And then there's a point in the letter that we reach, and we, we started talking about this a few weeks ago, where he starts giving them some instructions specifically about, man, if you want to continue to do these good things and you want to continue to advance the gospel and pursue the things of God, you're going to have to be careful of these other things creeping in in your life and, and maybe taking you away from the things that you're wanting to do. So there's some things that we've talked about, about what it means to be the church based on what Paul has said. First thing, we want to pray for one another. We call it just pray for my partners because Paul called them partners in ministry. So I've just been encouraging us, pray for our partners. And just ask the question, you might get tired of me asking it, but are you praying for your partners in ministry? Here are your partners in ministry. You know, and, and honestly, not to overcomplicate this, just introduce yourself to someone before service, after service, something, hey, I'm so-and-so, nice to meet you, glad you're worshiping with us today. Anything I could pray for you this week? I mean, let's just start there. Just something simple like that. And praying for one another begins to bring us together. We've talked about that we want to advance the gospel. If we're going to be the church, we want to advance the gospel. That's why we're here. We exist to make Jesus Christ known. And the things that he has done for us and can do for others, we want to continue to tell that story and advance the gospel. 
If we're going to be the church, we're going to be present. And again, I say it every time. I'm not just talking to people who are sitting in church about coming to church. I'm talking about being present in others' lives, being the type of person that builds relationships that we can count on with others and for others. And we cannot do that for everybody. We can't. It's impossible. The amount of people just in this room right now, I don't know how many are watching online or anything else, but we, we can't possibly be there for everyone else. But we can build relationships in our life where we can be there for a group of people and certain people. And those are the type of relationships that we want to build up. And then we want to live in unity. That's what it means to be the church, live in unity. Not uniformity. God has given each one of us a different experience, a different life, different gift, different preferences, different things to do. But we can live in unity doing all these other things, praying for one another, advancing the gospel, being there for one another. We can be unified in that. And now I have one more to add to the list for you today. You ready? Repeat. <laughs> Repeat. Just keep doing that. That's what we need to keep doing. Those type of things right there. Praying for one another, advancing the gospel, being present in people's lives, and then living in unity. Just keep doing that over and over. That consistency is going to make a difference in our lives. And what happens is we all have this tendency to want to drift back to self. And yet God's word continues to push us toward love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So you see some of the challenge that we have, right? Is that God is trying to help us find life by knowing him and following him and loving others and serving others and pouring ourselves out to them. And there's something in our wiring and in our nature that just wants to kind of drift back to self. And those things that want to drift back to self, I would say further than that, they're even kind of supported in our culture in many, many ways, right? Just don't bother other people or just kind of take care of that yourself or do this yourself. Here's another one. It's subtle, but it's there. Uh, anybody have one of these? You know, these phone. I play with it all the time. That's why mine's beat up and I spin it like this all the time. It's called a phone, but uh, probably I spend more time using it as a computer than I do a phone. And then one of the things that they promote on these things right now are these cameras. And it's pretty incredible because this one has three cameras on the back. But it also has two on the front. And then they created these little popper things that make it easier for us all to go like this, right? And just take these pictures. Isn't that crazy? To just think when these came out, it was so that we could connect with other people. But yet subtly, they've made it easier for you just to deal with it by yourself. Now, have you ever just thought about the social implications of the selfie? There's something to think about for today. Discuss that at lunch today, okay? You can do those things. Today. But we're, we're supposed to connect with one another. And, and we've even tried to put it in convenience so much that instead of being able to simply ask someone, hey, do you mind snapping my picture real quick? We just don't want to even bother anybody else with that. We just want to do it ourselves and take that. And so it's just kind of crazy how everything kind of pushes us to be alone. Guys, together is best. Together is best. Together is hard, but together is best. And this is what Paul is talking about, that the church is doing good things. We want you to continue to do these good things. And a couple of weeks ago, he started talking about, look, we want you to consider 
others as more important than yourselves. And then last week we looked at the, the example he gave in Christ Jesus where he said we should all adopt the same attitude of Christ Jesus who didn't even consider himself so important that he, put, he didn't put himself first, he put the needs of others first by coming and setting that example. And here's what I want you to hear. Because these words today are kind of hard. I'm just going to say that. They're kind of hard. But every time God's word is leading us to do something, it's so that we may find life. And the reason it's hard sometimes is because it just goes against everything that might be in our hearts and, and in our experience around us. And we might not even see it all the time. But God's word wants to continually draw us closer to him and closer to others. Because he believes, he shows us and he knows, and I believe that when we continue to do that, that's where we will find life at its fullest. So he gives us some instruction on that. Starting in Philippians 2, verse 12. This is what he says. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed. See, he's talking to the church already saying, you're doing good, and I'm trying to encourage you to keep doing good or to do good at the next level. That's what he's saying. Just as you've always obeyed. So now... Not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Paul is in jail writing this letter to them. He's saying, I remember what you did while I was there. I'm hearing about what you're doing even as I'm gone. I want you to continue to do these things. And here's what he tells them to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just an incredibly interesting phrase. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's encouraging them, continue to do the good work and understand that obedience and following God's word is part of putting God's word into practice in your life. Continue to do these things. Continue to work these things out with fear and trembling. He goes on, verse 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his purpose. Now I'm going to give you what I believe in verse 14 is the most difficult relational verse in Scripture, in my opinion. Now you know what it means when I say in my opinion, don't you? It means you can throw it in the trash on the way out of this place. But I'm just going to tell you, in my opinion, the next verse is one of the most difficult relational verses in all of Scripture. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. <laughs> Too late. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Can you imagine that? I mean, he's sitting here telling them, hey, continue to do the good things that you're doing. Have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Put others before yourselves. Meet their needs. Lay your life down and do all of that and never complain or grumble about it. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. That is so difficult. Why? Because we just have something inside us sometimes that just wants to come out. And Paul's saying we need to learn to get past that. And here's why he tells us to do that, verse, verse 15. So that if you learn to do all these things, follow the example of, of Paul and imitate him and imitate Christ Jesus and take on his attitude and put others first, and then you continue to work out your own salvation and you do that without grumbling or arguing, this is what happens. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, 
By holding firm to the word of life. How do we shine like stars? By holding firm to the word of life. Then, Paul says, I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should be glad and rejoice with me. He sums it all up here. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Take on the attitude of Christ Jesus. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do all these things without grumbling and arguing so that you can look different than the rest of the world. You will stand out. People will notice that your life seems to be going a little bit different than everybody else's life. It doesn't mean that everything will work out great all the time. It means that our attitude will be in the right place, our hearts will be in the right place, and that when we do that, when we follow these things, we are blameless and pure. And then Paul goes on in a personal note to them and says, man, if you guys live that out as a church, then no matter where I end up, because he's writing from jail, not knowing if he's going to get out and be able to go back and see them or if it's going to end in execution, and he, he doesn't know. He says, but, but here's the truth. No matter where this ends up, I'm going to have joy in knowing that you're doing these things. So Paul is saying, man, I'm getting my joy in just knowing that you're following the Lord. What an incredible picture we see. So let's talk about some of the things he's saying a little bit more specific. First of all, I want to make sure that you notice this. I need to work out, not work for my salvation. So two totally different things. We, we don't serve others and love others. And we don't do things for God so that God will then do something for us. God has freely given himself to us. We are saved by faith through grace and, and that we're saved by grace through faith. And God has already poured himself out to us. He's given us everything that we need. Romans 5.8 reminds us of that. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 reminds us of these things. That God loved us so much that he sent his son, that who would ever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We don't work to earn God's favor. But yet Paul says we need to continue to work out our salvation. What does that mean? I think it's an acknowledgement of the fact that we have been in a world that is going away from God that has influenced us over time and those things have worked into our life and part of being a follower of Christ is learning to discern the difference between the things that are in our heart, mind and wants and the things that are in God's word and how then do we take the things in God's word and make them a part of my life. Work out your salvation. I could put it this way, do the things that God's word tells you to do. Continue to do those things. That's how he wants us to work out our salvation. It's even parallel with what Jesus was saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He preaches all of these things in the Sermon on the Mount and sums it up in these words in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, Jesus is saying it's not just the people who hear these words, it's the people who hear and act on these words that have this assurance of salvation and this faith that makes a difference in their life and the life that comes only in knowing and obeying Christ. James puts it this way, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We want to do God's word, not just hear God's word. 
So it's kind of like this. We have to, you ever heard anybody say it this way? You have to exercise your faith. I used to think, okay, what does that mean, exercise your faith? But, oh, they're just saying, you know, work on it. Put it into practice. Exercise your faith. Start with a group of believers putting these things into practice and find that help that comes in that together in doing these things together and helping this. See, now I'm beginning to see this picture. Paul, okay, so what you're saying is we're already doing some good things. You want us to continue to do these good things, but we got to beware that we're going to drift back to self-centeredness. Every single one of us are going to drift back to self-centeredness. So the way that we keep from Drifting back to self-centeredness is always looking for a way to put others' needs first and taking on the mind of Christ, which means that he didn't consider his needs as so important that everybody else's were irrelevant. As a matter of fact, he put theirs for okay. And so now when I start living these things out and I put them into practice, it might be hard sometimes, so I need to do that without complaining or grumbling. But then the more I do that, the more I begin to experience that life, the life that God has for me. Okay, I see all this coming together. I see how this works together. I love the fact that there's an incredibly practical element to our faith that God has given me gifts to use and something to do and people to do that for and with. That's what it's about. And so God has given us one another. See, now when we are being the church, what it should look like is that we are surrounded with a group of people in our life that are encouraging us to continue to live these things out. And we all know and understand, right, that we are all going to stumble at times in living these things out. We're going to mess up. We're going to make a mistake along the way. And in that group of believers, there should be grace and love and encouragement to say, no, no, let's just, let's just keep doing these things with God. Let's just keep moving forward. And Paul is saying, look, you got to be careful not to start grumbling or arguing or getting separated on these things. The church should be a picture of where people are striving to live for Christ and they have a group of people coming behind them to support them and do that. Can we have an honest moment for just a minute? That's not always true. It's just not. And I wish I could sprinkle pixie dust and wave a magic wand or do whatever it takes to take that away. But I realize that some of you sitting here, some people listening online, and some people that don't go to church anymore did not necessarily experience those things at church. What did they find? They found people who grumbled and argued. <laughs> they found people who lived for self, who tried to manipulate everything else to be to their preferences to the point that nobody else's preferences were need. And so now I found the six people that, like, like me, that think like me and we're gonna have our group and we're gonna have our church and we're gonna be us and that's it. And then these people go over here and we're gonna start a whole, and that's, that's what it looks like. I understand that, I see that. I don't necessarily wanna talk about that today. I wanna talk about the picture of what God says it could be if we do that, if we actually could be the church. And I wanna ask you this question, do you believe that if I actually lived this out, if I took God at his word, that this thing could be something that's so incredible, I wouldn't ever want to be for it to be anything else. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying just keep doing what you're doing and don't let these things come into play. And when you do that, then God will be lifted up and exalted and you'll see incredible things happen. You see, you're part of the church as well. It, it's not always about being totally so 
self-deprived that I don't get anything out of it. Because again, I think about it this way. It's not just spiritual, it's also very logical to me. And I've said this a few times along the way. That if I begin to consider all the needs of others, then I'm now doing my best to consider as many people as I can. But then in return, how many people are now considering my needs as well? Have you thought about that? But in the cultural way, or the way that we're my brought up, just don't bother anybody with your needs, don't mess with that, you just kind of handle all this stuff, you do this stuff, then I'm the only one ever dealing with that. And life becomes overwhelming, and it gets hard sometimes, and I don't necessarily make the best decisions all the time, but if I can somehow put myself in a place where I trust Jesus to fill the gap, that happens sometimes when I try to do things for other people, and I don't necessarily know how I'm going to be taking care of myself. Can, just, can we take it? Everybody take a deep breath in. Let it out. It's okay for you to consider your needs, okay? I want to let you know that. Paul's not saying that you can't do anything for yourself or you can't do He's saying we need to have the attitude that that's not all we ever think about, that that's not the central focus of everything that we're doing. The picture here is we come together as individuals with different gifts, with different needs, with different experiences and skills, and we make up the body of Christ. And when we do that, here's the truth. I can shine my story then too. Because your story matters. You need to hear that. Your story matters. In my life, there have been times that I've been around other people whose story is so impactful, it makes me want to go, my story really doesn't matter. You just, I just want to hear their story the rest of my life. But I don't know that anybody else ever needs to hear my story. But the truth is, your story matters. Everybody's story matters. And that's why Paul says we can shine like stars in the midst of a dark and broken world. You see, when he writes this passage here, when he says that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. He's saying that these people who trust God, who put into practice God's word, who hold firm to that in the midst of all the things that are going on around them, they tend to stand out. They tend to shine like stars in a world where people are tending to do their own thing. He's actually referring even back to a verse in Deuteronomy where it's written that his people have acted corruptly toward him and this is their defect. They are not his children, but a devious and crooked generation. It basically, what's, what the writer of Deuteronomy there is saying is that what's happening in this point in time is people are professing to say, hey, I'm following Christ. But in reality, they're not his. They're a devious and crooked generation not following the things of God. But when we hold on to the word of life and the things of God and we continue to trust in these things and act on these things, then we will stand out and shine like stars and your story will be worth something for someone else. I think back to the story in, in John chapter 9, the blind man, whose, whose story was simply this, I once was blind and now I see. He'd been a Christian about 30 seconds. He'd been a follower of Christ about that long when that story came out, and yet that impacted the whole world. So your story matters. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes these words to the church. Look at this about the stories and the care and the being the church. He says, we cared for you so much that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives also, because you had become dear to us. What a picture. 
We're not just, not just here to promote these things, but man, you're so special to us that we want to share life together with one another. So Paul's encouraging the believers, stay positive, stay pure. Don't be held back by circumstances or situations or things that you don't understand the answer to. Just continue to trust God, put the needs of others first, have the attitude of Christ, do that without grumbling, complaining, and trust God to see you through that. And can I just say this? Do you know how you do that? You do that together. It's the weirdest thing that happens in my life. Every time I have to mow my yard, I don't like it. I just would just tell you that. Very rarely do I get up and go, I love that I get to mow the yard today. But we did serve Sunday a few weeks ago, and I got together with other people, and we took care of people's yards, and it was the most fun I think I've had in a long time. Why is that? Because it wasn't for me, and I didn't do it by myself. It was for somebody else, and I did it together with somebody else. So it begins to make sense. Man, everything that I do, if I'm trying to do it for myself, sometimes it becomes mechanical and burdensome and difficult and challenging. But when I just start caring for the needs of others and doing this and living life together with one another, man, it, it, it takes on a whole different meaning. And when I do that, I find joy. This is what Paul's saying. I find joy. Paul's not going, I'm so happy I'm in jail. <laughs> Paul's going, man, I'm finding joy in the fact that you guys are living this out and, and I get to be considered a part of you. And even though I might not be able to be with you and living these things out, I find joy in seeing that you're living these things to its fullest. So I can begin to find joy in the fact that I'm connected with other people and I'm seeing what God might be doing in their lives in a season right now. And even though my life not be, might not be in a place that I want it to be right now, I can still find joy because I can see that God is at work and great things are happening. I've said this before. Sometimes I stand back and I look at a week you know, and, and, and in the position that God is allowing me to have as a pastor, I get to talk to a lot of peop, different people during the week and see a lot of different things. And it's amazing sometimes, I'm using this word, not, please don't take offense to it, I, I'm just, it's what popped in my head, of sometimes the schizophrenic conversations that I'm on, on, on the phone sometimes is that you get off the phone with someone who's having a tragedy and a terrible week and something, and then you pick up the phone and somebody else calls, and it's the best week of their life, and I just wanted to share this with you and these things that are going on. And then you get on the phone, and somebody's got, I've got this question, and I don't understand what's going on. And then you talk to somebody else, and they're like, man, God just showed this to me. It's just like <sighs> sometimes. But when you step back and you look at the whole picture of it, and you just go, yeah, this is pretty incredible. That's why God wants us to be together. Because sometimes we can't see how he's still at work or what he's doing. But when we're connected with other people, we can see that God is always on the move. And so Jesus even told this to his disciples in John chapter 15. When he summoned it all up, he's about to ascend into heaven. They're left on their own. He goes, look, here's the instructions. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you. Jesus said he found his joy in seeing the disciples live this life. And that your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. You see, because that's what it's about. The church is about one another. Church is about one another. That's why we gather together and worship. That's why we gather. It's about one another. And the more 
we get better, you ready for this, at one anothering, I just made that a verb, then the better this is going to be. The better we get at one anothering, the more life we're going to experience, the closer we're going to draw to God, the greater life we're going to experience even on our own. And so when our church is operating as it should, we all have so much more being poured into us than we're ever even able to give because we're all trying to do things for one another. Just thought about that. So I want to encourage you, just bow your heads with me for just a moment.